0: Hello, and welcome to Thai Talks, where we interview founders, leaders, and experts from across the Thai network to get their insights about venture building. My name is Ritu Mehrish. I'm a Thai member and founder of the Leadership Troubleshooter. And it's my pleasure to be your host for this episode.
1: The theme for today is ideas to execution, Uh, you know, and, and it says it all. So I want to, during our conversation, discover uh, what have been some of your key milestones as you've walked this journey from idea to an execution.
2: It's funny because we started just before the pandemic and uh, we switched over to full stack development during July 2020, which is in the heart of the pandemic lockdown. And uh, I think one first major milestone for me was, I mean, obviously deciding to incorporate the company right in October 19. Subsequently, having the team come together for the first time up until we stopped travel, uh, March 2020. And then later on, uh, deciding to ditch the original ODM strategy and build everything in-house ourselves. That's when we uh, reached the next level of the milestones where we had to form the core team to build the product. That was another key milestone. Uh, we were having calls from our China team that we formed remotely and subsequently the Jakarta team. Uh, from that point on, getting the, every subsequent build that we had coming out from the garage, you could say, uh, and then later on, the fundraise, the subsequent series Seed raise, and then the Series A raise, uh, and in between, the unveiling of the bike in Singapore, and then the launch of the bike in Jakarta, end of last year.
1: Okay, yeah. great. So let's step back. Let's start with the idea. How did the idea come to you?
2: Uh, I've been trapezing around Southeast Asia, initially as a venture capitalist, and later on as an a zero entrepreneur, building my team in Vietnam. Uh, the Vietnam team was eventually sold to Grab. Before we sold it to Grab, we, I mean, obviously Vietnam being such a big market, there are about 60 plus million population, they have 60 plus million, motorbikes. it's basically one, one a pop. And uh, then it's hard to not notice in Ho Chi Minh City, the density of motorbikes. When I was doing fintech later on in Jakarta, 2017 until 2019, uh, again, you have uh, motorbikes in oh, Indonesia outselling cars six to one. So between these two, uh, I noticed the prevalence of motorbikes as the first transportation medium in Southeast Asia. And uh, it's a way of life, it's a way of culture. It's nuanced differently in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Indonesia, more similar, Vietnam being a bit different. So it was hard to ignore that. And when you merge the um, upcoming waves of ESR, CSR, that I was noticing, I mean, back in 2018, 2019, Indonesia Minister Luhut was already talking about uh, accelerating electric transition in Asia. So when all these factors came together, I think the, the need, at a personal level, the need to go back to something more less ephemeral. Uh, as an innovator, as an entrepreneur, I want to touch what I'm making and I saw the trends and I was like, hey, I, I got to get into the space. Okay. Environment as one.: yeah.
1: Oh, good. So that was the idea. Um, once you had the idea, you looked at the trends, you figured out that, you know, this is a big thing here. Um, what was the second step? What was the immediate second step?
2: When, when I um, decided to go into this space, I think uh, like any okay. other founder would, I figured that it makes sense to find and look for a co-founder. Mm-hmm. In spite of my 16 plus, 17 years of experience on all three sides of the table, having worked as a civil servant, having worked as a venture capital angel investor, having uh, been a serial entrepreneur, I still felt like I didn't have all the ingredients that I thought I needed. And I went and looked for a co-founder. That, I think, was the second step. Uh, it ended up eventually being the wrong choice.
1: What are some of those ingredients that you went out looking for in a co-founder?
2: Uh, I am a straight laced guy. I thought I needed someone slightly gray. I have never built a motorbike before. I don't have a motorbike license. He had a motorbike license. Uh, And he was from uh, the first electric motorbike company in Singapore, Skok Electric. So in that perspective, I I felt that it was important to fill the gaps that I thought we needed. Uh, But when we had a shift in go-to-market technology models, when we no longer wanted to depend on China as our ODM supplier, and we had to pivot towards a full-stack in-house development, build up the team members for that, uh, I think my technical background, my triple hats, North three sides of the table, uh, started kicking in. And uh, interestingly enough, I think we were able to pick it up. The team we built allowed us to go forward and build uh, on that foundation.
1: Did you also build the initial team or co-founding team? as Yes, called? yes.
2: In fact... Uh, We quickly added a bunch of folks that were critical to, because it's just two of us, and I'm technical, he's not. And uh, we needed to fill the rest of the holes. And we quickly poached and hired from, and hustled to look for people from all kinds of places. We poached from the ODM partner that we worked with that didn't work out. We uh, poached from a Beijing electric motorbike company. Uh, I moved him from Beijing to Guangzhou and later to Singapore. We hired from Bangalore, right? Uh, Hired in China, hired in Indonesia, hired in Vietnam. We hired as broad as Kazakhstan. Wow! Right. So, okay. so we had. So, so, the company was very distributed by nature because of the fact that we were working on an atoms first bits later company. It's a physical object, so it's atoms first. Again. Okay. And it's bits business later, bits later business because uh, when you have a hardware platform, they can build all kinds of digital products on top of it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Great. And was it difficult to get your first? set of people together like how did you sell that vision or because that's what you you conceptualize you had right like to your team
2: when you say you want to try to undertake a full stack end-to-end build in singapore which historically does not have automotive ecosystem or supply chain yeah. and you're trying to do it amidst the pandemic people think you're crazy you have no license you don't understand the product uh, you're trying to do it in a country that isn't the market uh, we don't have the natural talent, admittedly. But it didn't feel that difficult when Back. I was in the midst of it because you just don't think, blinker right, on the race course. But on hindsight, uh, when people ask, wow, well, what did you into it, how do you do it? Uh, when TVSM was um, talking to us and they were like, wow, you should not exist in Singapore. and I didn't take it. I said, I understand what you mean, and I did not take it to that. Bad- yeah. Um, I think that, that in itself, uh, on hindsight, felt really hard. Uh, but when you're crazy enough to try and do something, the world somehow conspires to help you out. We put out a job ad for senior industrial designer electric motorbikes. Okay. Uh, there was a Singaporean working in Yamaha wow. who reached out. He was the only applicant for that job. Uh, and uh, he was hired on the first call. He could not believe his eyes that there was a job posting for such a role in Singapore. And he was looking to come back during the COVID during COVID. So it's odd. Yeah. Uh, you have to stretch in all kinds of ways. We had to pay premium in some instances. Uh, we, had, we found gems along the way and made, we made it work. We have 13 nationalities in the company today. Wow. In uh, five country, primarily four office setup, mm. up, uh, with only Indonesia as our first market and maybe Vietnam. So, so to to pull this off during this period, I mean, it's it's very people dependent, and yeah. you know, it's it's crazy.
1: I can imagine. So yeah. well done on that. So he, here's the idea: you've got the team. Uh, you know, you've got you've convinced the team. What was what is the tipping point? And where did you think, okay, this is where it seems like you know something is happening.
2: Um, I think when the the, the the moment that became very real was when. We saw the subsequent builds of the motorbike prototypes come together. When I saw the teams working together in spite of the distance, I saw the uh, tenacity of getting supply chain to support us in spite of factories generally being logistically constrained or just really movement tough. Uh, I only visited my Shenzhen office after three years. Wow. Uh, First trip a month plus ago, two months ago. When you could see the thing come together for the first time, when you could see firmware engineers dialing in remotely when we are working on the remote test bench that we had set up to enable. So I don't have to ship the bike to every single remote engineer I had, right? Uh, or the parts. Um, That was when everything became very real. We knew that we were onto something. It still felt very garagey and uh, not quite industrial scale. Uh, And then I think the next step was when we had our pilot battery pack and vehicle line come up in Singapore to serve as the underpinning of our digital twinning with the eventual line that we're setting up right now in Jakarta. Uh, it, it became so, even more real that, that we now have our line, we now have uh, teams operating it, that we were commissioning it during the whole period. Yeah.
0: Hi there. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Before we move to the next part, I want to drop a quick reminder to please follow or subscribe to our show, like our channel or rate us five stars. Every little action you take allows us to reach more listeners, so we really appreciate your help. And now, let's get back to the show. Before
1: even the physical product came into being, or you see, right? Like, what was a point where you thought this is going to work? And the reason I'm asking and I'm, and I'm pressing on this point is because when you have an idea, you know, you've got a bunch of people who agree on it, but then to be able to. Really take that idea in and say, yeah, I think this is going to work.
2: I, I, I think any entrepreneur who tells you that they think it's really going to work is lying. <laughs> uh, I don't agree. I think the only way to get out of this jungle is if you constantly doubt that you're going to make it.
1: Okay.
2: But yet be able to deal with the doubt and find a way out and not let it get you down. There's never a certainty in making sure. it work. Uh, even till today, I mean, we just signed a lease on a 46,000 square feet factory. We're putting the plans together to, to commission the line. It's very surreal to be signing off the lease and know that we don't have enough people, but we're trying to get there. So at every step of the company's journey, we're always having these moments where we're saying, oh no, are we going to make it? Are we going to crash? Are we going to make it? Okay. Uh, but then that's what you do. You overcome every single challenge. You uh, forge forward as a team. You try and break down the Tower of Babel and, uh, you know, have, have all kinds of final kinds of ways to hack your way really around okay. this. Yeah. So can I just
1: double click on this moment of doubt? Oh, double click, yes. Uh, <laughs> because uh, the reason I, I say that is because in the journey, and I, I'm sure it's going to hold true for a lot of audience here, is that you're going to go through this moment of doubt like multiple times. It's not like one time, you know, once you think, oh, we've made it. It's like the next round, the next round. What do you as a founder and a successful founder, what do you do to manage those moments of doubt?
2: I don't think I'm successful yet. Sure. Um, What do you try? Success is when I can post an IRR for my investors and myself and my team. Okay. We're not far from it. Having said that, uh, I, think, I think it's about just looking for the next sum. Mm-hmm. I think it's about having perspective that, you know, don't, don't get contented with the one that you just nailed. You got to keep going. Uh, don't get too OCD about trying to get perfect with what, how you're trying to nail the target each time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're never going to come up as planned. It's, it's always different, it's always constrained. There's always all kinds of faster, cheaper, better trade offs to be made. Uh, very uncomfortable for most people but that's what I think makes entrepreneurs a bit different we are we're constantly looking to we revel in the discomfort to push ourselves to grow at least for me I think the pursuit of truth is, is key that motivates me and when you keep seeking truth every step of the way to, to move forward and move the challenges forward that's when uh, you keep going right? uh, otherwise there's nothing to reinvigorate me at every yeah. step yeah.
1: great Really great answers, um, and I could go on on that, but I do realize, you know, we have limited time. So I wanna to move to the third part or the third key milestone in any entrepreneur's journey is the funding, right? Um, speak about that because I did read and I was chatting to you, you know, about the most recent funding that you have from TVS, you know, the big investment. Um, what was that like? What was different series of funding going out and asking people for money? What was that?
2: I think we started the company amidst, and and fund rose amidst two terrible periods, which it's always been terrible. um, But the two biggest terrible periods were trying to fundraise during the pandemic on a hardware product in a region which historically does not have hardware companies succeed with no hardware funding ecosystem. Uh, Along the way, I invested nearly half a million US. Uh, Along the way, we've raised two rounds, part one, part two seed, and uh, Series A with a bridge round along the way that became converted into a Series A round. The uh, fundraise is always... Fundraising, I think, is generally overglorified. It's a shit show, generally speaking. Most founders don't get to raise the money that they want. Uh, I did not get to raise the amount I wanted this round, right? I wanted a bit more. Uh, and the and, and investors always want cheaper, they always want to put less and they want your valuation to get lower. Having been on that side of the fence, I completely understand what they're trying to do, um, which is why uh, it is over glorified because not every business needs to be venture-backed. Angels are different from VCs, are different from strategics, are different from governments, are different from you know families, who knows. Uh, the list is endless, family, friends, and, and um, when you get in this game and you try and fundraise, for us, it was really difficult because um, we did not have our product to show for it. We, we didn't have enough money. We have been extremely capital efficient, living off 3.3 million seed part 1, notes uh, 3.2 million seed pref part 2, and uh, 18.7 series right, uh, which we only just received bulk of it um, you know, two months ago. We've lived off less than 9, 10 million, less than 9 million the whole time across three years prior to this. Um, I think for every entrepreneur, it's about being capital efficient. I think from a fundraising perspective, you've got to try your best and you have to figure out which set of investors is the best audience you're going to have. I had a very fragmented round. That's a function of people not believing James can pull it off, I think, yeah? Um, and, and then using my reputation to raise the money it helps because I've never lost money in my life so far. Then to convince investors to put money in, uh, a lot of it is not just about the clarity that you present, but also about the team that you have, about the approach that you take, uh, about the, it's timing, it's luck as well. I think luck is 60, 70% of a race.
1: Uh,
2: No one else was crazy enough to try to raise with an end-to-end play. And... um, and we were able to break the razor into two parts so that we could show progress along the way. Uh, when I was fishing for CBC checks starting from February 2022, I struggled to find investors uh, that were appropriate. Not that there weren't investors talk all, sure. but uh, the timing was bad. Um, the China, I'll give an example. A US investor took umbrage at the fact that we had a Chinese subsidiary. And we're like, no, but it's a subsidiary. They're like, no, 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 I don't have anything to do with China at this point in time. right? And so you you get all kinds of weird signals. And and, uh, along the way, you just have to zoom in to who you know is the one and take uh, the discount on what you hope you're going to get.
1: Okay, I'm going to move on from funding to probably the last part of the mm. journey which finally comes to execution mm-hmm. uh, you know seeing the product selling the product what, what's been that like because also it's, I think it's, your journey is also unique in the sense of the, the product right like the physical product the hardware as you call it which which is kind of not so like you don't see so many of those um, right? so sure. what's what's been that been like
2: uh, it's extremely hard to be agile on hardware. You can MVP and launch SaaS services when you know the plumbing has not been sorted out. Uh, Because you can put on good front-end skin and put put lipstick on the pig, right? Uh, But for hardware, it's really hard. We've had to temper the way we sell with the polish that we're currently at and wait for the next inflection point in our build quality as we head towards production scaling this year. So, that's been hard to deal with. That's unusually awkward compared to the software background that I come from, where you can have daily pushes, daily releases of your product. I, I've once released an update twice in a day, but you can never do that for hardware. Uh, that means that you have to plan better. That means that you have to understand the time delay to the physicality to the market segment, customer segment, and then you got to like, find all kinds of clever ways. We, we, we did not spend much on marketing so far, but we've been generating significant reach on the basis of organic content as a new brand. But yet you don't want to be chest-thumping, telling the world that you're awesome because I want to underpromise and over-deliver as a founder, as a brand. Um, and hence we have to temper that selling acceleration. In fact, the irony is that my, the investors who get it will tell me to go slower, James. Not too slow, but go slower so that you don't screw up because you only often have one-two shots at the, at the consumer confidence. Right. Whereas for software, you can A/B test, you can catch uh, different buckets of customers and then ditch them and change audience sets very yeah. quickly. That's been tough and challenging.
1: But if, what's next? What's 2023? I mean, we're in first quarter already ending, but what's 2024 would like? Three.
2: Uh, I, I think there's a lot more to be done. Twenty twenty-three, we have to commission our plan, battery pack, and vehicle plan. We have to ship the bike by Q four. We have to release the product, the, the demonstration unit for our second and third models that we have in our pipeline. Uh, we have to remain capital efficient and maintain uh, lean spend in spite of. Uh, the funding round because you never, know, you never know when the next round is going to happen, right? The macro signals of the economy, global economy, regional economy, is looking a little soft in general. And uh, we're seeing this bricks versus you know the rest of the world and uh, this impact on supply chain, impact on how we decision, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, but having said that, on the back of that, I think you have 350 trillion rupiah of fuel subsidies that will be transformed into initially 800 billion rupiah this year, or 4 trillion next year. So you can imagine the, they definitely want to save money. I would want to save at least half, I'm the Minister of Transportation. So, so you can imagine from 4 trillion towards 100, wow. 25x. Um, having said that, I don't think bit, any business will survive long-term being built on subsidies, which is why we started a premium mass market because our customers don't ask for subsidies. Even though we will qualify. Right. So a lot to be left to be done. 24, um, we hope to enter and launch in Vietnam and Thailand. We hope to improve further on our products. And uh, I hope to be entering another vertical, not just motorbikes. In terms of
1: Great. All the best. Thank you. Uh, one advice for a Thai agent who so could be pitching.
2: How much time do you spend? if you're not interested. Okay. I think that's the hard part of being nice and being clear. Uh, articulate that clearly to, to the other party. And then the advice for founders that uh, you're asking. I think likewise, I think on the founder side, be cleverer about sizing up the angels, be cleverer about uh, asking them the right questions quickly to leave an impression because the sh- you have to assume that everyone knows what they're doing. And uh, if you're trying to hide behind fancy numbers and labels, then they're gonna ask straight to the point about the question. Yes, interesting to hear the story. Uh, My name is Michael from Investing PC. I'm a biker myself. You talked a lot about your journey, but uh, I would like to talk more about the the product and um, your production line. So what fascinates me about Tesla, for example, they innovate everywhere. It's not just another vehicle uh, with an electric uh, propulsion, do you have the same approach and could you just give us um, some tidbits? We do the sort cell sorting, spot welding uh, in-house and uh, the packing in-house. We build our own BMS, we do our on firmware, we do it on software. We build up, we do it industrial product design, we do our mechanical frame, swing arm. We cut, we tool, we release files for tooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. We innovate everywhere. Like, investors always love to ask, angels always love sometimes to ask, What patents do you have? What what IP knowledge do you have? I think a lot of this is actually know-how, the noose and the know-how of integrating all these things together. uh, And you, you know, like for example, we're we're deploying our factory line now. How do I ensure that my ERP system can still get clarity of item masters and bill of materials going out of my ERP storage warehouse into the factory line to be consumed? Tracked against warranty systems. That needs to be had back to, who? Is it an operator error? Is it parts error back to supplier for warranty claims? I mean, it's not rocket science, but you're going to have to innovate on how you implement without calling for NetSuite, Oracle, or SAP in, because we can't afford them. right? We, we're going to have to couple things together to, to make it work. Uh, we only have five mechanical engineers. How do you work with five mechanical engineers to do a complete vehicle integration with 70, 80% of the parts custom design. So, so there's a lot of process, method, uh, corners that we take at higher speeds, uh, knowing where the debt is and going to clean up. So I wouldn't say it's, like, it, it's hard tech, it's not deep tech. Uh, um, and uh, we have no know-how of a battery pack line. So we're going to have to transplant know-how from China, our own team into it. We design our own battery pack line. We optimize the process ourselves. So all of these things, I think, come together to make it uh, difficult to compete against what we're doing. Anyone can go to China and point at a bike and say, I want this and I want a badge on it and I want a volume and I want to go sell it in another country today. But to really then take a very volumetrically constrained product and then trade off the way we want to trade off to to achieve the trade-off between performance design specs and then to deliver it and hand to the customer takes... As you as you rightly pointed out, a lot of nuanced innovation at micro macro levels. Yeah. You s- I and mean, your go to market strategy?
1: How, how direct you the the customer. It? Yeah.
2: Direct the customer, um, not traditional dealership. Yeah. Completely disrupting and avoiding the where the pub would normally go. So I think I'll ask you an unfair question. Uh, previous James one and James two. So James one and Joey Chito. Would you guys, how would you look at Eon Mobility if you, have, you were on the other side? Mm, I think cash flow management is key. Uh, I think the capital structure is key. I think the customer loyalty, <coughs> customer acquisition costs, conversion funnels are key. And when I can demonstrate all these numbers as an entrepreneur to my next round investors, I'll be bringing on the PE numbers, private equity money, when we get there. So it's, it's unfair advantage to have as an entrepreneur to think as an investor and then think as an entrepreneur and then use that information unfairly. The challenge is then in the execution. How, how do you get this ragtag bunch of people to come together to execute and uh, make this happen? Because they're never always going to be as motivated as you. How do you create incentive structure to incentivize them to play this journey with you? Uh, All these numbers will then have to prove itself. And then what's the exit, right? What's the the initial exit for the short exit window, guys? So I'll have to look at my investors' uh, fund life slash uh, exit secondary expectations. Then look at my cap rate structure. That's what an investor would be thinking, right? Like, can he make it? Does he have enough luck? Magic touch. uh, charm, ability, randomness to make it happen. Uh, talk to the next layer of people, right? Is it, as an investor, you have to see, is it just a James one-man show or is it much more? Because sometimes investors think James is just one-man show because he's, he's CMO, CFO, CEO at the same time, right? Then uh, talk to the next layer. Otherwise you're not convinced, right?
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for staying till the end. If you really liked this episode, here are a few ways that you can help us and yourself subscribe to the show so you never miss another episode click through to the show notes to catch up on details you might have missed like or rate the episode and leave us a good review so others can find us share this episode or some highlights with a couple of people like you so they can benefit from all this great information and lastly Share your takeaways on LinkedIn or Instagram so others like you can discover the show. Tag us so we can give you a shout out too. Thank you so much.